This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. Welcome to the show that is all about uncovering the awesome in the everyday. Each week, my co-host and I give you our favorite tips, share our best stories, and confide our true confessions as we invite you to join us in the pursuit of awesome. This is episode 48 of the show. We are brought to you this week by HealthyMoving.com. Healthy Moving is all about exercising less, moving more, and feeling better. Visit HealthyMoving.com slash Sorta Awesome or text Sorta Awesome to 33444 and we'll hear more from Healthy Moving's Jen Hoffman later in today's show. I wanted to say thank you all again so much for supporting the show with your Amazon shopping. Just a reminder, you can now go to SortaAwesomeShow.com slash Amazon and that link will take you right to Amazon's homepage. When you fill up your cart with everything from your Aveeno BB cream to dried elderberries by the pound, Amazon will throw a few pennies our way. It costs you nothing to shop Amazon through our link, but it means so much to us as we work on building a better show for you with your support. And that link again is sortaawesomeshow.com slash Amazon. Well, I have a very special guest co-host joining me this week, my beautiful friend, Oshita Moore of the blog, as well as the soon-to-be-launched podcast, Shalom in the City. Today, Oshita and I are talking all about an ancient concept that has never been more needed in our current culture, and that is the idea of Shalom. If you think you already know what shalom is and what it means, I really want to encourage you to keep an open mind because hearing Oshita talk about it is going to inspire you to practice this path to wholehearted living in a brand new way. So hi, Oshita, and welcome to the show. Hey, Megan. I'm so excited to be here on the show. So glad to have you. Well, I'm going to get us started the way we always do with Awesome of the Week. Yay! So this week, I have brought a book. I felt like it was time to mention a book again, Oshida. I've had TV <laughs> shows and music and all kinds of stuff, but I have been doing lots of reading. Um, and so this week, I'm going to talk about the book Presence by Amy Cuddy. Have you heard of this one? Oh, my gosh. Yes, I have. I have it on Audible, and I just oh, added it to my phone. So I am excited to hear what you have to say about it. Yeah. Well, if you are not familiar with Amy Cuddy, she is a social scientist. And a few years ago, she did a TED Talk, which probably you've seen. It has over 31 million views. <laughs> yeah. And actually, I am like so into Grey's Anatomy right now. And there's a whole like section where they do the Superman pose that she talks oh, about. Yes, totally. Yeah. So oh, tell me more about the book. I'm excited. Okay. Well, so her TED Talk was really great. Um, lots of people seen it, over 31 million views. She in the, her TED Talk just talks about how changing your um, 
your your the way you move your body can really make a difference. Your body language can make a difference not only in how other people view you, but in how you actually view yourself. It's really mm-hmm. fascinating. So at the end of her TED Talk, you may remember that she tells a story from her own life about a car accident that she was in in college. Right. And she has this really terrible, traumatic brain injury. It really, it changed so many things about her life. And in the book Presence, she actually goes into that story a little bit more and really unfolds how that car accident and the, the brain injury that she suffered in that accident really, I mean, it, it actually changed her view of herself, her identity. It changed her IQ. She had always been kind of the smart kid and her IQ dropped like 30 points, I think she Mm -hmm. said. And so it, it traces her path in recovering from that. And then how she found herself doing this work as a social scientist, looking at how people, um, express themselves, especially in stressful situations has really kind of been the focus of her, a lot of her research. So All these people watched her TED Talk on body language. She has gotten just floods of email, people like stopping her on the street or in a coffee shop to tell her how pivotal that talk had been in their lives. So she sort of collects their stories and, you know, from further research and further work that she's done, she put together this book called Presence. So again, she really talks about how just changing the way you hold your body, the way you move your body inspires more confidence in yourself, like your own view of yourself. I haven't read the whole book right now, but the part that I'm in right now, the chapter that I'm in right now, she talks about battling imposterism. Oh, that sounds interesting. I know. (laughs) This thing of just like feeling like I don't belong here. I'm a fraud. I don't deserve to be here. And it has been so powerful for me. Um, Actually, the reason I went ahead and bought this book, I'd kind of heard a little bit of buzz about it. But a friend of mine asked in a group I'm in a couple of weeks ago, she asked us if you could change one long standing, deep seated, negative belief about yourself, what would you change? What's that? What would be the thing that you would want to change? And I hardly had to think about it at all. I, I knew that the thing that I'm always battling is I am a fraud. I always, I, from the time I was a child, a student, college student, a teacher, I've always felt like that. Like, I'm just faking it, and nobody knows that I'm actually a fraud, mm. um, which I think is a fairly universal struggle. I mean, oh, yeah. as I'm reading the stories of people from her own life, and then the stories of people that have shared their personal stories with her, you can kind of see that thread woven into a lot of people's stories, this whole thing of imposterism. So in the chapter I'm in right now, she talks about what impo- what causes imposterism, what techniques we can practice to overcome it. And I don't know, it's just really speaking to a long, long struggle of mine. And I'm just so thankful for it. I'm so thankful for the the vulnerability um, that she herself has in writing about it, that other people have had in sharing their stories with her. And it is, it's really speaking to me. So it's totally my awesome of the week this week. That sounds awesome. I am really now I'm like extra excited. To yeah. Finish. Fangirl, which I'm listening to, which I know right. that you have been, <laughs> you've been texting me, <laughs> <I have. laughs> asking me to like, have you finished it? You don't like it yet? Yes. Um, 
I'm I'm in the middle of being girl and I'm I'm powering my way through, but that's the next one on my list on Audible. So, so earlier, thanks for the recommendation. Yes, earlier this month, Oshita was on our friend Ann Vogel's podcast. What should I read next? And when I heard her mention that she was reading Fangirl right now, I immediately was texting her like, "We have to talk about Fangirl." <laughs> I know, and I think in that podcast, I'm kind of I'm kind of ambivalent about right. Fangirl. Like, mm, I just really want to get to carry on, so I got to do this. Like that was kind of my attitude. So, yes, yeah. Yes. So as soon as I get through that, I'm going to pick up Present or Presence? Presence, yes. Amy presents. Cuddy's Presence is the book. Mm. So I can't wait to talk to you about it after you've listened to it. Good I stuff. Yeah. Okay. So I know you have an awesome of the week for us. So I can't wait to hear what you brought for us this week. Yeah. Well, my awesome is not as, you know, philosophical or, or deeply connected to my soul. Well, that's soul. okay. Listen, we've had plenty, <laughs> plenty of more shallow things on the show for sure. I know. And I guess maybe it's not really shallow, but <laughs> app. there's an app for that. Um, yes. There's an app that I am really enjoying right now, and it's called Bands in Town, all one word, Bands in Town. Bands in town. Um, okay. There's a website, I think maybe that preceded the app. Because okay. it seems like there's a whole lot more stuff going on there. But it's basically, it tracks all of your favorite artists. Um, and for me, I didn't even think about adding this app to my phone. I don't even know really how I, it got on my phone. That's weird. Maybe I, I, bought, <laughs> yeah, I bought something and it was like, you, can try, you should try this. But, um, but what, I, what I've been loving about Bands in Town is, it's been really helpful for me for my New Year's resolution, if you will. I um, I do the thing that some online bloggers, online people do. It's one word, 365. Yes. Uh-huh. And so my one word this year was delight. And so on December 31st, I sat down and wrote all the things that I, that I find delight in that just really bring me joy. We've had just a really crazy year between our move from Boston to L.A. and you know, and I was just finding myself complaining about a lot of things. And I wanted to practice gratitude. And I felt like for me... Gratitude comes from that like spark of joy when you find that you really delight in. And so the first thing on my list that I wrote that I found delight in is live music. And, um, and it's one of those things that you don't really know that you really love until you say it out loud or you like write it down. You're like, yeah, I really do love that. And then when you go, you're like, why have I not been doing this forever? I know. (laughs) So true. Yes. So I think maybe that's somehow how I got bands in town. On my phone, but it's been really good for me because what you do is you um you put it on your phone and then it'll ask you if, if it can search your music for you and so it searches all of your iTunes music and it starts pulling different artists from those and then it pulls suggestions of other like newer artists right. and then it track and then you can put in where you live and then it tracks who is in your town obviously bands in town right. and so I just had like a cool bands in town moment this morning that I thought, this is why you're my awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Okay. Let's hear it. (laughs) My girlfriend emailed me a few weeks ago to go like on an overnight retreat with her, but it was during the same weekend that my all time favorite band, the brilliance was in town and I missed them when we were in Boston and I promised myself I would never miss them live again. And so I went to bands in town and the only local showing was that same weekend. And so I literally was sitting with my husband, cost analysis benefit. Like, <laughs> time, live music, information, right. connection, like going back and forth. And then just this morning it said, they sent me a little message. The Brilliance will be in Santa Ana, which is 45 minutes. And they're going to be here 
a week after that other showing, which was oh, like right next out. to me. Yeah. I'm like, I can go, I can have the girlfriend time and then I can go listen to the brilliance. Like uh, I have a few bands in, in town. So totally that worked out perfect. It worked out perfect. And it's really fun because I'm finding new artists. Cause I think that for me as a person who loves music, it's a place that I, I, a wall I run into a lot is I'm listening to the same things over and over again. Sure, yes. And, um, and it, based on what I already have, it'll suggest new artists too. And sometimes I love them. Sometimes I don't, but I just feel like a more well-rounded music lover because of bands in town. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I had never heard of that app, but I love live music too. And I'm the same way. Like when I haven't been for a while and then I go listen to somebody, I'm like, why do I not do this all the time? <laughs> right. So that is fantastic. I had not heard of that, but I will be checking it out immediately. That's you should. Okay. And the other cool thing about it real quick is that, um, when you, you can reserve and they'll continue letting you know, like details about the concert until oh, you buy yeah. tickets yeah, or yeah. you can, um, or, and you can connect it to your Facebook. And so I have like reserved that I want to, that I'm interested in a concert. And then I've had friends text me and say, Oh, you, you like that band. I like that band. And so it's just, it's kind of taken that online resource and just made really cool connections in so real life. Great. Love it. Love it. Love it. Okay. Well, that is a great way to start the show. I love it. So, Oshida, as you know, on Sorta Awesome, when I get a guest into the co-host seat, I love to pin them down and ask (laughs) them to share their five-minute life story. And I like to do this for our listeners because I think it just helps everybody to have a little bit of context about who you are, where you've come from, and what has informed all of this wisdom that you're going to be sharing with us today. So, five-minute life story. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I'll be having all that, all that much wisdom, but thanks. Um, Okay. So my five minute life story, my name's Oshita Moore and no, my name doesn't mean anything. That's the first thing people always ask me is what does your name mean? It doesn't mean anything. Um, I have honestly thought about going to urban dictionary. (laughs) (laughs) Like I heard, I heard um, Knox and Jamie talk about names and Urban Dictionary, and I thought, oh, I could totally do that. And then I have a legitimate answer. Right. For that yeah. What does Oshita mean? And it doesn't really mean anything. Um, my dad made it up. He spent a few, he did two tours in um, Okinawa during the Vietnam War, and he just loved the sound of the Japanese language. He always knew he wanted a, a daughter with an O name, um, and so he just made up my name. So it's beautiful. Um, so he did a great yeah. job with it, but th- that's so yeah. interesting that people want to know that. They always ask that. What does your name mean? Um, so it doesn't mean anything, but um, so my name's Oshita. I am originally from a southeast Texas town called Texas City, Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, about 45 minutes south of Houston. Um, and I lived there until I was 18, went away to college in Springfield, Missouri, and then transferred into a state school um, in, te- in Texas, uh, University of North Texas in Denton. Um, and while I was there, I went with a group, a uh, young adult group to do a short term mission trip in New Orleans during Mardi Gras. Um, and it was really fun, funny because the way that it was pitched to me was like, we're going to go to Mardi Gras and we're going to um, like we're going to be a presence of light in this really dark place. And we're going to do all this good stuff. And, <laughs> and don't you want to give up your spring break? And I don't even know why I did it to this day. I still don't know how I ended up in New Orleans, um, but I ended up going on that trip. Um, and I met my husband on that trip Uh and 
Yeah. And fell in love with the work that they were doing there in the urban core of New Orleans. Um, so I went back to school. At that point, I was studying. Um, I was a dance major. I was a double major of dance and elementary ed. Um, and so my whole thing was I really wanted to like teach in a, in a studio, like go back to my hometown, teach elementary school, teach in a studio after school, maybe coach the drill team because I was on drill team in high school. Uh-huh. That was my whole like plan. But then when I came back from New Orleans, I wanted to take all of the education that I was getting and put it to good use in the city. So I decided that I would, um, upon graduation, move to a low income community and teach dance at like a community center for free and uh-huh. teach at Dowling School and all of that. Right. Um, so and I, I did meet this really cute guy. I'm not <laughs> sure. <laughs> and so he and I were long distance for a while. And then um, I moved to New Orleans. He ended up going to school in New Orleans because the trip was hosted by a a school that did practical inner city work. And so he ended up going to that school. And then I moved to New Orleans. We started our life there, got married during Mardi Gras. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) It was so funny because we actually, our limo actually got caught in parade traffic. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And we kept telling our our driver, no, 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 don't take this way. Don't take this way. He's like, child, I know where I'm going. And he really didn't. So our whole whole, like caravan got stuck in parade traffic. Oh, no. But that's a great New Orleans story. (laughs) Great life in New Orleans story. (laughs) And we were there until Katrina happened. And um, when we, when Katrina happened, I was eight months pregnant. So we had one child who was about to turn three and then uh, Katrina happened. We evacuated. And after a lot of thinking and talking, my husband decided he wanted to go to seminary in Boston. So we moved our family. I was big pregnant, as they say in New Orleans, from, um, from New Orleans or to my parents' house is where we evacuated to, to Boston. We were there for nine years while my husband finished his degree. He ate the elephant one bite at a time. And then just recently, about a year ago, he accepted a job offer out here in L.A. to work at a church that meets three blocks off of Skid Row. So still really connected to that love for the city and caring about the brokenness and the poor of the city. Mm-hmm. So we moved here to L.A. Um, while we were in Boston, we had that baby that I was pregnant with. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> we had a year-old and then a newborn right after we moved. And then two months later, we found out we were pregnant with our third, oh, our daughter, wow. Trinity. Uh-huh. So I have, I have three kids, two boys and one girl. Uh, my oldest is 13, a 10-year-old, and then the nine-year-old. So they're Irish twins. Uh-huh. And yesterday, my daughter was like, it's just so much easier for me to tell people that he's my twin. I'm like, <laughs> whatever, whatever's clever, just do that. So yeah, so that's my life. I also write on a blog called Shalom in the City. And I started that about, I started that when we were in Boston because we started planting a church in a low income community in Boston. And it was primarily just a space that I wanted to talk about the Shalom, like the work of binding up brokenness in the city that we were doing in the city. So Shalom in the City. And then, and so that's just kind of what I have been doing and thinking about and sort of just expounding on this concept of shalom. Um, and I recently just started a podcast yes. where I am women who are, who I'm calling my shalom sisters, um, on to talk about how they're living whole lives in the midst of some, some type of brokenness. That's so. right. Yes. And that is actually how you and I have really gotten to connect and know each other is kind of talking through the whole process of getting a podcast up and running. So I have just been cheering alongside for you to get your show up and going. You have been just 
after it to get it going. Yeah, and yeah I don't are. think I could have done it without you and Boxer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay, well, I would love for you to stop right here and talk to us a little bit more about what is this concept of Shalom. You know, we talk about a lot of really awesome things on this show. Some of the things are totally new to us and we need to have somebody kind of walk us through what exactly are we talking about? I'm thinking back to towards the end of last year when Kelly did a show about Sabbath and she kind of showed us how you may think that Sabbath is this, but in reality, it's really the concept is this. So I was going to see if you could do that a little bit for us with Shalom, because this is the work that you have poured your heart and energy into for for years now. So there's no one better than you, I think, to oh. <laughs> fill us in on what we, what maybe what we think we know about Shalom and what the actual practice of Shalom is. Oh, I would love to. Okay. So the most common word people think of when they hear the word Shalom is peace. And in a sense, that's completely true. But Shalom is more than just a Hebrew word for peace. It's a word that describes the world as it should be. So like a whole concept of um, wholeness and harmony and flourishing. And so when someone chooses to create wholeness where she sees brokenness in the world or in her context, she's a peacemaker or what I like to call in my blog, a shalom sister. Yes. <laughs> what I love about using the word shalom over peace, though, is because a lot of times when we think about peace, it's very surface, just the idea of avoiding conflict or avoiding uh, discomfort where shalom is this idea of like being really proactive and creating wholeness and being wholehearted wherever we are. And so, you know, it just goes so much deeper and it makes such a wider tent for people who to come under. So anyone who wishes to see a change in the world or in their relationships, in their lives, um, because it's as because being a part of or underneath that tent of shalom is just as simple as seeing an area of brokenness and when I say brokenness, I mean like any area that you feel unsettled or you see something just not working the way it should. Right. Yes. And then working to bring wholeness and again, like being just wholehearted, like being your best self in the midst of that. So when I think about my practice of Shalom, because it's big, it's a big idea. I like to break it down into three or four main areas. Okay, let's hear those. So the first kind of main area of seeking or practicing Shalom is seeking and practicing relational wholeness. So oh, that has anything good. to do yeah. with actual relationships in my life, like with my husband and my kids and the people in our apartment complex, the barista who makes me my coffee, the teachers, members of my church, my blog readers, like anybody that I personally interact with, being a shalom sister in the midst of that is someone who seeks to be relationally whole with them. The next part of that I think of shalom is like practicing and seeking wholeness in broken systems. Ah, uh, yeah. So anything to do with a system that's just not working the way it should, that everybody involved in that is at their best. So like er, things like racial inequality or unfair, unhelpful policies at work or racism. So if a large group of people are suffering because of a system, then a, a peacemaker in that context will work to identify, draw attention to it, and then help to resolve that brokenness. So... I do this, this systemic idea of wholeness, like with my work in the inner city or when I write posts on my blogs about racism and I'm in an interracial marriage. And so I write about like the tug and pull of loving my children and wanting my children to thrive in this world, but knowing that they, part of their heritage is connected to a black woman. And there's just so much going on in our cu culture around that. So I write about like how I process that. And then I work with a company that strives to do social entrepreneurship for women in third world countries. So 
just like any kind of system that doesn't work, and when you enter in that, you're being a peacemaker for systemic wholeness. Right. Um, the last one is environmental wholeness. And so that's just seeking wholeness in the world itself. So making choices to care for our environment for it to be as flourishing as possible. So like recycling and carpooling and preserving water and just all those kind of things that we kind of naturally do because we want the world to be at its best for us and then for our children. That's practicing wholeness environmentally. And then there's one part of Shalom that's particular to me as a person of faith is just being connected to my faith and being connected to a higher power. And that's important for me because I feel like it gives me an imagination for what the world should be. It keeps me optimistic and hopeful so that practicing Shalom and being part of systems and relationships that are broken and even like seeing things like the lead spill in Flint, Michigan, that's yes. where my family is from. Um, I can get really disappointed and feel like I'm ineffectual in such a big thing. But being connected to sort of that higher idea, um, being connected to a higher power helps me stay hopeful. So yeah, those are kind of yeah. like the way that I couch and think about Shalom to make it more accessible for my everyday life. I love that. I think that you are so right that when we think about Shalom, we think about peace. And then for a lot of people, the connotation there is this idea that we, that to promote peace, that somehow you just don't engage with the hard mm -hmm. stuff or that you stay out of it, that can sometimes take on a really passive feeling. But the way you're describing it, it's obvious that it is so not passive. It's very engaged. It's very much about looking around what, you know, what are the things that you come in contact with in your everyday life, where do your passions take you? And then right. figuring out where can I help to promote or even just create wholeness where, where right. there is none. Or even, like you said, examining where the brokenness is and not necessarily feeling like you are the be-all, end-all savior to that brokenness. Right. <laughs> but that more that you're taking the energy of trying to figure out healing and, and bringing wholeness to that situation and just being a part of a bigger thing that's happening there too is, is what, really what I'm hearing you say too in a lot of these situations. Exactly. A woman can be a peacemaker who changes the very fabric of her community if she just has one core belief that the world can be better and she can make a difference. And oh. that's that's really all what practicing Shalom is about. I love that. That gave me chill bumps so much when you said that just now. So this can be a pretty abstract thing. And sometimes it's best to apply these concepts when we hear like how did this become real in your life? What are some concrete stories from your life? Do you have a, a story or two that you could tell us that, I mean, you kind of already gave us examples as you broke down mm -hmm. that definition. That's so helpful. Are there stories that stand out in the midst of your ministry and work that kind of illustrate shalom in action? Right. Well, I think one way that's sort of like a foundational thing that I think about when I practice shalom is I really try very hard to separate people from policies. I try very hard to remember that there's actual people involved in hard conversations and even hard moments in my life. And one area where I have, I'm like always thinking about that is with my kids. Cause it's right. super easy for me to just be on autopilot with them or for me to be exacting or for me to have all these expectations or whatever. Um, and I could just kind of just bypass the part that they're like actual people with like personalities and dreams, yeah, and hopes yeah. and, you know? And so um, just for me, I have tried very hard to honor my children as actual people. And that's my practice of relational wholeness with them. One way that I do this is 
um, with my blog. So when my kids were little, and like I said, I started my blog as a way to connect my friends from Texas and New Orleans and our friends who are watching what we were doing in Boston with what we're, you know, what our ministry was in the inner city. And so it was super easy, so fun, just natural to just write stories about them, little anecdotes or post pictures about them. Oh, look, my, we got a, we got a new sign for our ministry. The kids are holding it up. How cute. Instagram that. And so, and it was very easy to just do that with them when they were little and it was fun for them. But as they, as they've gotten older, I've started to realize that my, they own as much of my story as I own of theirs. We're intertwined. Yes. And so for me, practicing shalom for them looks like this thing that I do on my blog and on, on social media where I, I have a hashtag that says kid approved post. And oh, on my blog, so yeah. yeah, on, on my blog, when I write a story about my kids, because like I said, part of my thinking about systemic wholeness is writing about racism in my kids. Whenever I write about something that happened to them that I feel like my readers could benefit from, I let them have final say of whatever I post online. And then as a kind of, um, as a stamp of approval for my readers to know this is okay. And this is me upholding their personhood. Um, we have like, you know how like, like presidents or presidential candidates right now will come out and say, I'm so-and-so and and i with this message. Yes. (laughs) So, So each of my kids has an image that they've chosen and then I wrote their name like, hi, I'm Tyson Moore and I approve of this blog post. And I just, <laughs> it's just one of the images that I just throw up on my post. It's, it's been a little, it's been a fun thing that I've been doing. But for me and for them, I know that my kids kind of stood a little bit taller and they're a bit more prouder of what I do online because I'm acknowledging that there should be wholeness in our relationship and and, I, and so that's just like one really practical way of practicing shalom as a mom that, that I do. Is, I love that. That's so practical. I know that, you know, our, our kids or my older girls are in that same age group as your kids. And lots of us who began blogging when they were little, were sort of all navigating this together and trying to figure out, I mean, like Eliza and the twins, all of them had a social media footprint before they were even born, you know, trace their pregnancy (laughs) and all of that stuff. So before they were even born, they had a presence online and trying to figure out how best to honor them in that has been really tricky. And I really love that you have gone so far as to not only clear it with your kids, but also to assure other people like, it's, it's cool. It's okay. We, we talked it out and they're okay with this being online. I've, I've definitely done that with my girls in terms of what pictures I post online now. Mm-hmm. But I really like that you took that extra step of assuring other people like, we, we've got this. And, and I think that can be so inspiring to other moms too, as we're trying to figure out what do we do? How do we figure out this tension, yeah. you know, between it's because it's hard. our family's life, but they're individuals. And so mm-hmm. yeah, how do we make this whole how to what's the wholehearted approach here? So I love that. Right. It's a great and, example. And the cool, the cool thing about that is, so there have been a few posts where my 13-year-old will say, oh, I don't know. I don't know about that. And I can sit and talk to him and say, well, I think that somebody who reads this might be inspired this way, this way, and this way. Is that something that you want? Is that okay? And even just him learning that the things that he does could be an inspiration and be helpful for somebody else. It's just so, I mean, I, I feel like that in and of itself is why I would continue doing kid approved posts on my blog. Yes. Just for that reason. Right. Yes. That's great. That is a perfect example. And something else that I love about that is that 
Sometimes when we hear an idea about like peacemaking, we tend to think of more like on a diplomatic scale, you know, like (laughs) you got to be in power somewhere to be a peacemaker. And that is so not true either. You know, there's a lot of ways we can think about peacemaking and wholehearted living that are just not true. We need to be able to figure out, hey, in my own family, me as a person, an employee or a boss or just whatever context we're in, we can totally do the work of peacemaking and and totally have a wholehearted approach to our lives. So absolutely. And that's why I started my podcast was because I wanted to have conversations with women who are doing, who are living whole and practicing wholeness in their communities to sort of reverse engineer. Like, okay, you are this blogger who has written this amazing post or whatever, and not all of us can do this. So how do we like back up and get to the place where you just started thinking about it? And then what are small ways? So at the end of every one of my episodes, I do something called Shalom Steps, which is just small ways that a woman can kind of replicate what my, my guest is doing so that she can, if she's inspired, practice Shalom that same way within her own like family or community. All right. Well, we will be right back with more from Oshida right after this from Jen Hoffman of healthymoving.com. Hi, awesomes. Jen from healthymoving.com here with a tip about how to get more movement in your day. Walking is my very favorite form of healthy moving. A good goal is to walk about a thousand miles a year. This does work out to approximately three miles a day, but it's ideal if we have a variety in our walking diet. So walk three miles one day, six miles another, 10 miles on another day, and zero miles on some days. And distance isn't the only variable we can play with. Can you walk on a variety of different surfaces like grass, dirt, sand, and rocks, all at varying inclines and slopes? Start to play with adding more walking to your day. Maybe take several short 10-minute walks throughout the day, or walk for errands instead of driving, or switch a coffee date to a walking date. And of course, it's also important to pay attention to how you walk. We want to use the most amount of muscles and create the least amount of friction on our joints as we walk. For two quick exercises you could do to make sure you get the most from every step you take, head to healthymoving.com slash sorta awesome or text sorta awesome to 33444. We are back with our special guest co-host, Oshita Moore. And I saw you write about this recently in a way that resonated with so many people. You had a post up at The Art of Simple, which is run by our friend Tish Oxenreiter. You wrote about customer service shalom, which is not a phrase that you would, I don't think I've ever heard those words put together (laughs) into one phrase. And I could tell by reading the comments on the post and on social media, media. Gosh, Oshita, that concept, that idea that you wrote about at Art of Simple resonated with so many of us. I will definitely put a link in the show notes, but could you kind of back up if anybody missed that post at Art of Simple? Could you tell us a little bit about this concept? What is customer service shalom? How are you inspired to practice it? And what might we think about doing in our own lives that reflect this idea? So, I mean, just like you were saying, peacemaking doesn't have to be some diplomatic thing, some thing that you go, I have a friend who's actually getting her PhD in peacemaking. Oh, wow. That's amazing. It's a a deep and rich um, topic. And yeah, you, you could do that. You could, you know, take that path down to peacemaking on a global scale. But peacemaking, I mean, we all have relationships. We all interact with people every single day. 
there's all that potential for conflict or misunderstanding um, or unsettledness. And so we can all be peacemakers in our everyday context. And for me, uh, a few years ago, probably five or six years ago, I noticed um, that there was one area in my life that felt unsettled that I was just really not happy with. And it was the way that I thought about people in the service industry. And I come, my mom used to be a store manager for Walmart. My mom has her, um, she's getting, she's finishing up her MBA at 63. Wow. I know. So my mom is, she understands the business world. So she's very exacting. She has very high standards for her employees. And I kind of just by like living with her, have heard so many horror stories and so many, so much of those expectations that when I went out in the world as a consumer, I was, I had very little patience. And I forgot that there are people on the other side of that counter or on the other side of that phone conversation about my bank account. And I just noticed I was out with my husband on a date night one night and I literally, he was talking to me and I literally stopped him and said, can you believe our server hasn't come to refill my water yet? And when I said that, I was like, oh my gosh, Yoshida, you're such a diva. Like, what is your issue? There's a water fountain like literally like 15 feet from you. <laughs> but I, that, that, and my husband kind of looked at me like, one, rude, I was talking, and two, like, it's just water, babe. But there was something about that entitlement and that forgetting that there, that there are people too who's waiting on several other tables, who's trying to calculate what she's going to have in tips at the end of the night based on what I just ordered. Like she's a person too with a story. And so, and that was, it was at the beginning of the year. And part of my faith practice is I observed the season of Lent. And instead of always fasting, which is what some people traditionally do, I stop and think, what's one thing I want to let go of so that I can hold on to something better? Oh, that's good. Um, yeah. And so it doesn't always look like fasting food. It's like, you know, one year I gave one, well, this year in particular. So I was thinking, what do I want to let go of around this topic of customer service and the way I view people in the service industry? And what do I want to lay hold of? And I wanted to let go of that entitlement. And I wanted to not be that girl that eyeballs my server because my glass is getting, I'm drinking a lot of water and she's not noticing that. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to be the person that creates good stories and remembers the humanizes them is what is the phrase that I use in that post. And so for me, that is one of the most everyday practices of Shalom that I do because I'm always out in the world spending my money. I mean, even if I do it on Amazon, if if something doesn't work, like when we first moved here, I forgot to change our address. And so a bunch of the things that I had ordered for our new apartment were going to Boston and not L.A. And I spent hours on the phone, like tracking my things and talking to people. So even when we sort of live in this digital age, we're always having things sent to us. There's always somebody on the other side of that making that happen. And so for me, customer service alone was just me remembering that. And that is just the essence of living a whole life is remembering that we are part of this complex system where there's other people who are affected by our choices. That is so beautiful. And it was such a great post. It really made me stop and think, I, I think I am usually pretty friendly to people, but the, the ideas that you shared in that post about like actually going out of the way to learn somebody's name and to greet them by name and just the, 
shared connection and humanity of calling someone by their name. That really struck me because there are a couple of stores around in Oklahoma City where I go frequently and I say, see the same store clerks there a lot. I've never bothered, like for a year, I've never bothered to learn their name. I might say hi as we are going in, but that's about it. But so I really loved the challenge of that. And I loved too your honesty in telling the story about like <laughs> being so annoyed with the waitress. Um, I'm sure we could all relate to that. But (laughs) that you didn't just let that moment pass, that it really took hold of you and that it was um, sort of a guidepost for what your practice for this Lent season would be. So Mm -hmm. I love that. Well, I'm going to switch gears just a little bit because you have referenced several times and I want to talk a little bit about your Shalom Sisters manifesto Mm -hmm. that you have on your blog at Shalom in the City. Again, I will definitely put a link to that manifesto in the show notes. But in it, you really just kind of talked about lots of different ways that we can unite together in this wholehearted, reconciliation-minded approach to living. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that, and then I really want to hear your thoughts on how do we practice this in (laughs) the contentious nature of an election year. So first of all, what inspired your manifesto? At first, I wasn't going to have a manifesto on my blog because that just feels so pretentious, like, hello, here's my manifesto. (laughs) But I I felt like I I got, I was getting the same kinds of questions. Like, okay, you say peacemaking. Does that mean you don't believe in war? Or does that mean this? Or, well, um, same sort of thing. Like, I am not ever going to be a diplomat. I am a mom with a mortgage and a minivan. What does that mean for peacemaking for me? Um, And so when I decided to do the the Shalom Sisters Manifesto, I wanted to create just kind of a guidepost for every single post that I'm going to write. Because I, when I first got into blogging, well, I almost didn't blog Megan. My really? husband, yeah, my husband was a huge blogger and he was always writing. And he, and I, I'm, if you can't tell by now, I have big feelings and yes. I express them like all the time. Yeah, so I know. I can't imagine. It would seem very unnatural to me if you didn't have a blog and a podcast and all of these things. <laughs> right. And so my, something would happen in the news and I would, follow my husband around just like chattering. I can't believe that. I'm like, <laughs> and finally he, he, he stopped me and said, I think you need a blog. <laughs> I think you need a space where you can process this because I don't think you're the only person who feels this way. Right. Yes. Um, and I, I'm an extrovert, but I, I tend to be socially awkward and shy. And so I was like, there's no way I'm going to put myself out there like that. And, and, and also, I watched my husband navigate the online world at that time, and it just felt like people forget that there are humans on the other side of those pixels yes. and those paragraphs. Yes. And and I was and I knew my personality. I I just was like, I didn't I don't want to enter that space and have somebody criticize me. And I don't think I can handle it. And I don't think I have. I don't think I'm a shark. I don't think I can go after somebody for the sake of stats and you know likes and clicks just so that my blog can go somewhere. Right. So, but after following my husband around for months and him being like, get a blog or leave your phone, <laughs> um, I decided that, I, <laughs> I decided that you know, I'm going to do this. And if I'm going to do this, I'm going to create a space for this. Like, this is the kind of blogger I am. And these are the conversations that I'm excited about. I'm excited about talking about wholeness. I'm excited about peacemaking. I'm excited about encouraging and widening, widening the tent and making space for everyone and, and disagreeing but being civil about it. Like, those are the things I like to talk about. So I'm going to start a blog about that. 
And so when I, when I redesigned my blog, I wanted something that women could click to when they come and say, oh, okay, I get what this space is about. And so there's, um, I was just looking at it, I have eight kind of guideposts. And so there's things like, there's no room for divisions at all. We actively break down all labels that divide. And then I have this like ongoing phrase to that manifesto that like, if you forget this, I will exclaim, hold my purse, hold my earrings. Because <laughs> there's one thing that really riles me up and that's when people start going at each other and just un- being uncivil and being unkind just for the sake of looking cool or getting their point across. Right, right. Yes. Yes. So that's kind of the why I wrote the manifesto. For me, it's been really helpful in thinking about when I add something to my blog to even fall into what I say that it's important for me. Well, one of the things that anyone who works in the online world is aware of is how to how to navigate all of this in a civil way if we want to ch- make that choice to be civil and wholehearted in our discussions. Um, how you write about it online in, in terms of like all of the... Um, the big feelings of the political <laughs> cycle here in the United States. And oh, then, yeah. you know, even people who, who are not bloggers, who don't work in the online world, all of us who are engaged in social media, or even just, you know, conversations around the family dinner table at gatherings and how when the political discourse heats up, how it can quickly turn fr- away from the path of wholeness and peacefulness and unity and breaking down walls and, and not using labels and, and those types of things. So do you yeah. have any pointers or any like a mantra or something that we can take away from this as we try to get through the rest of 2016 when it seems like around every corner, there's something else to, you know, sort of blow up about? Mm-hmm. Well, I think for one, um, I have a general rule that I just ignore. I, I don't, I not ignore, but I don't, I read it and I'm informed, but I don't let it affect me because one, I know there's a whole machine behind that person that is trying to get that particular political position across. And so, um, and one of the, one of the manifesto points is people are always more important than theological, political or philosophical positions. So the, so I, as a general rule, try to remember that that person, whatever candidate is, is a human being who has so many other people behind him working to get whatever position across. And that, um, yeah, they, they're just the, not the mouthpiece, but, you know, they're affected too by having to read things and, and that they may still just be in process about, yes. you know, things about immigration or education or, you know, they, they still may be processing their own feelings about that. I mean, I know I'm still processing my own feelings about that. So just because they're, they're the one on the pedestal doesn't mean they have it all together. Oh, that's good. That's good. So I try yeah. to remember that. So just remembering that kind of strips that emotional, like, why would he say that? Like, yes. it kind of strips that initial reaction to, like, keeping a perspective. The other thing that I do, so that's with the candidate itself, with people who hold on to those positions. Again, I remember their people and that they have stories that got them to that position. Mm. Whatever that story may be, something happened in their life or they've been taught by someone they trust or they've read something that resonated with them. Um, we talk a lot, you talk a lot about personalities here in their podcast. Maybe that position really leans towards their personality type. Like they're a full, whole, complex person with that position. So remembering that kind of, again, keeps me and keeps it in perspective in the way I want to interact with them online. It gives, it helps me be patient with them and it helps me be kinder to them 
because I, I could very easily be like, how could you believe that? Like what intelligent person could believe X, Y, Z? Right. Yes. But <laughs> I know that that intelligent person had this experience or read this book or, and we don't always have the benefit of knowing that. And so starting with that backstory saying there might be, there is more than likely something that got them to this place helps me just be kind. Also, I realize I don't have to have a say. And I feel like, you know, it feels really good to have a say. It feels really good to just like pound out whatever we want to <laughs> right. on Facebook and hit sin and be like, there, drop the mic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it feels really good to do that. But I have, I have come to a place where I value relationships. I value wholeness. I value entering into a space as wholehearted as I can. So I really love, I really love Brene Brown and what she's doing. I I love her books. I value that way more than I value that satisfaction of a really good mic drop. Gotcha. And so just remembering the the candidates, remembering humanizing them, if you will. And then again, humanizing the people who hold that position, giving them a backstory, giving them being patient and kind with them. And then just divesting myself of having to have a say. I mean, I have my own beliefs and those are going to inform me when I go to the poll. The other thing I try to do is I try to say very, I try to keep to the topic as much as possible. I try to stick with the issues. And I know that's such a catchphrase, but like I try to research the issue itself. And I try to think about the systems. This is where that systemic wholeness, like how is this affecting so many people? Yes. Um, And though, and I, I let those inform my decision, but my decision is probably different than yours, like your, 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 your vote and your vote's probably different than many of our awesomes. And that's OK. Being OK with us having different perspectives and making different votes or voting differently is OK. The world is not going to stop on its access because we are different. It's actually better that we are different and we have different perspectives. I love that. That is so helpful. I think just finding the humanity in these discussions is huge. And I love everything that you said about that. That's so great. Okay, before we go, sometimes I like to put people on the spot and ask them about the thing that they are always talking about. To give you an example, Lord knows anyone who knows me knows it's personality typing (laughs) things that I'm always talking about. But the thing that your family, your close friends know, when it comes to Oshita, she's always going to be talking about this. Can you tell us what is the thing that you are always talking about? Well, Right now, it's Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> like, I seriously am so addicted to this show. It's because I, I read A Year of Yes, which I mentioned on Anne Bogle's podcast. And it just, I just loved it so much. But she references her, her growth as a woman is so deeply connected to Grey's Anatomy. So oh. she referenced it so often in the, in the book yeah. that I thought, I, I want to reread this, but I want to be like a well, I, I was being a well-informed consumer, Megan. Yes, really. very much by, so. By so responsible. I started <laughs> watching Grey's Anatomy and it is outrageous and it is like a chick flick on steroids. And <laughs> it's, it, but it's wonderful. And my little sister, um, a few years ago, I was with her and she was telling me about how much she loved Grey's Anatomy. And I turned my nose up at her like, girl, I am into so much more evolved media <laughs> and entertainment. <laughs> Whatever. You and your McDreamy doctors. <laughs> so then when I, uh, when I finished a year of yes, and I text her and said, I finished a year of yes. She texts back, yes. Does that mean you're going to start Grey's? <laughs> 
that's true. And so, my, I mean, my little sister and I have a dear, sweet relationship. I just, I love her so much. But we, we honestly, Megan, we have daily grace check-ins because oh I'm gosh, that's amazing. Up with her. So, like this morning, I was walking the dog, and we were dissecting different relationships. And really, how do you feel about that moment? Did that, did it touch you the way it touched me? Or um, there's one character that reminds us of our youngest sister, and we're like, oh gosh, what if this character did this? Could you see our sister doing like it's, it's fun. <laughs> And and I even posted on Facebook once, um, you know how somebody, people send those, ask your kids these questions without prompting them and uh-huh. then post answers. Um, and so I, you know, people like to follow my kids because they say crazy things. And I asked all three of my kids those questions. And, and it was like, what does mom, what would mom do if you're not in the room? And they all said, watch Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> <laughs> so right now, right now I'm always talking about Grey's. When I'm done with that, I will probably start go back to talking about DIY and, you know, Pinterest and things like that. Because I, I really love, I love throwing parties. So I have like a yeah, whole secret yeah. board. Of di- I have different secret boards for different parties for my friends that I'm throwing. Like, it, like, like a good like, ESFJ would, for exactly. sure. <laughs> so, you know, once I'm out from under the grays, like uh, haze, the grays haze, uh-huh. then <laughs> I'll go back to loving DIY and parties. That's, so so that's what I'm always about you and I had some good conversations about the good wife on Voxer as you were going through that and so love it love it I love a good I can break down and do analysis on a tv show like nobody's business so I love that it's so fun and then for me it justifies being so intimate so like I really want to get into pretty little things but I've got to find a smart friend who's in pretty little things so we can analyze that so funny so funny okay well we're gonna go ahead and wrap up Oshita thank you so much for sharing your wisdom I know you feel like a little squirmy when I say that but genuinely you have brought so much insight so much inspiration for us as we move forward into 2016 this wholehearted path to living by being mindful and seeking after that practice of shalom. I love it so much. For anybody who wants to follow up this conversation, if you have questions for Oshida, if you want to talk to us about what this peacemaking practice already looks like or could look like in your life, come and find us on social media. Oshida, where can we find you all around the web? Well, I'm in the um, Sort of Awesome Hangout, so I'm there. I'm in the Sort of Awesome Boxer group, so you can find me on Boxer. I will box you for days about Shalom. I totally love talking about it. But if you want to read more about Shalom and, and how I practice it in my everyday life, you can follow me on my blog, Shalom in the City, or you can subscribe to my podcast. That's, That's right. Um, by the time this airs, it's probably already had its launch week. Um, and if you want to see some of my DIY and party plans, you can follow me on Instagram, um, Oshita M. And then if you want to tweet at me, you can, um, I'm on Twitter at, at Oshita. And my name is spelt O-S-H-E-T-A. I know it sounds like there's a D there, but it's O-S-H-E-T-A. That's great. Thank you so much for that. Well, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sorta Awesome Meg. You can come find us, Oshita and I and all of the awesomes on Facebook at facebook.com slash group slash Sorta Awesome Hangout. The show is also on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show. Thank you all so much for listening and we'll see y'all next time. Sorta Awesome was created by me, Megan Teets, and is produced each week in collaboration with Kelly Gordon, Rebecca Hoffer, and Laura Tremaine. Visit us on the web at sortaawesomeshow.com, where you can sign up for the show's newsletter, connect with the Sorta Awesome community, and find show notes for each episode of Sorta Awesome. Music is provided by the band Prager. Find out more at pragermusic.com. 
We'll meet you back here next time as we discover, explore, and discuss all the things that make life sorta amazingly awesome. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.